good to see you here this morning. We continue our series on making all things new. And so uh, before the scriptures are read, let us go to God now in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and proclaimed, we might hear with joy what you would say to us this day. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord in the first letter of John, the second chapter starting with verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates Another believer is in the darkness, walks in darkness, and does not know how the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope that talking about things new hasn't gotten old for you. You know, I hope, I hope it hasn't gotten old for you because I'm here to tell you that God is wanting to do a new thing in your life and in this church. And I believe God is doing new things within us right now. Can't you feel it? I hope you can. As we've been talking over the past few weeks, we've been saying that in Christ, all things become new. You might remember us talking about that. And that's the theme scripture for our series. And then we discussed about how this is made new through the new life and the spirit that Paul talks about there in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And then that enables us to see every human being, not from a human point of view, but from a Christ-like point of view. And then as we discussed last week, we can experience something new each and every day, even in the midst of turmoil and troubles and suffering. And today we discuss this this remarkable commandment, love one another. Love one another. A new commandment that I am giving to you. And it's interesting how John starts this off. He he uses the word beloved. Beloved. Now, that's not a word we use much anymore, is it? You know, we don't say my beloved hot dogs, do we? No, we we don't say my beloved football team. We don't say my beloved, even my mom or my dad or grandma. Who uses the term beloved anymore? God. God calls you and every person that walks this earth beloved, beloved. And it's interesting that in some translations that they'll use the word friends or brethren or or something like that. But if John had wanted to use a word like that, he would have used the word philios, friend. But the word is agapeto meaning beloved. And it's interesting throughout the New Testament when when the writers are talking about fellow believers working together and being together, they never use the word friend. It's always agaptio, beloved. Because you see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are in something that is more close than friendship. We are a family of beloved 
community coming together as true sisters and brothers in Christ. And remember what we said a few weeks ago, that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And the term beloved is the same term that God gave to Jesus when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism. Remember when he walked walked into the water and then came up out of it? We hear the voice saying, this is my beloved. And John is making this, this astounding claim that you are beloved too. You are as in Christ Jesus, a co-heir of the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters, closer than even friends. That's what what we're talking about. And there's more to it. God sees within us tremendous promise. For in the English language, prior to the 1600s, the word beloved, I mean believe, always was attached to a person. Believe comes from the old English word beloved, which means my dear one. And so to say that we believe, we beloved somebody, it means also that we believe in them. When we say that we love somebody, that you're my beloved, we believe in you. Isn't that powerful? See, God sees something within that maybe we do not see ourselves and he believes in us. And when we believe in each other, powerful things can happen. Things can change. Any of y'all ever been on a a youth choir tour? Any of y'all old enough to remember those sayings? There's nothing but a a van full of hormones traveling all over the place, you know? I mean, we, we, you, we had a youth choir tour in several summers there in Mary Esther, Florida, and God bless the leaders of those things. I mean, if anyone has a place in heaven, it is someone who takes a group of youth on a youth choir tour. And so we left on a, a trip from Mary Esther, Florida, going through uh, Georgia and some of the other churches in Northwest Florida. And, and uh, I remember that we stayed in Sunday school classrooms at the various churches we were going to sing at. And... You know, one night, the, the, the boys deciding to get the, the girls attracted to us. What a way to you know, express your romantic feelings for somebody. Raid the girls' room. Start messing with their stuff. Is that mic working? This thing keeps going in and out on us, doesn't it, Roger? Let's try this one. I'll be Elvis, okay? Here we, hold, hold the mic like that. Don't worry, I won't sing. All right. And, and so we raided the girls' room at night thinking that this is going to be a cool thing. Well, it caused a lot of turmoil, caused a, a lot of uh, hurt feelings. We damaged a few things. And, of course, there's a lot of crying going on. And, and didn't attract any of the girls to us, by the way. Well, Cecile, our leader called all the guys together, and she did something worse than calling our parents. She said this, I'm disappointed in you. Oh, my gosh, you know, oh, you know, sweet Cecile saying, I'm disappointed in you. She said, y'all are followers of Jesus Christ. You're here representing, representing our Lord, but I want to tell you this. I believe that you're better than that. I believe in you. Wow, those words hit home. It changed our attitude about the trip. 
Instead of uh, riding along trying to, uh, you know, pick up a girlfriend, we began to think about why we were really traveling. And it changed our perception, changed our attitude. And, and it got us uh, thinking about the Lord more and, and trying to make this a true spiritual experience. And we drew closer together because Cecile said, I believe in you. You're better than what you are acting. You know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we believe the best in each other because we are beloved together. We're a family. And when someone does something that disappoints us, well, we, as Paul says, you know, we forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you because we believe in one another. Dear one is someone that we believe in, beloved, believe in. So to prove that you're awake, turn to someone right next to you. If you're sitting far away from somebody, maybe get up and say something to them. Say this, I believe in you. I, I, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. <laughs> now that's not hard, is it? You know, isn't it interesting to note that someone in this room says they believe in you, and there may be one person right now that doesn't believe in themselves. But yet, you, as a fellow follower of Christ, say, I believe in you. That's what it means to be beloved, to believe in somebody, just as God sees you and believes in you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it, when you think about it? John goes on to write here, says that, you know, uh, those who dwell in darkness are those that, that uh, hate their brother. And he, he makes this claim, though, that if you uh, love your brother, that you dwell in light. And earlier in the book, John makes this claim about God, said God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And he says this, too, that God is love. So if we logically put all this together, if God does not dwell in darkness but is light and God is love, that means there is no hatred in God. Think about that. There's no hatred in God. Now, God can get angry. God can get sorrowful. God is disappointed in in us. And God hates sin and evil, but God does not hate people. God does not hate. Because God is love. And to hate is to dwell in the darkness. And those who do hate are in darkness. Now it's amazing, isn't it? When we hear this commandment, we Christians are to love one another. How often we have not done so. In fact, Christians are infamous for doing anything but loving one another. History is replete with examples of this. And the Lord weeps. You know, Christian France and Christian England fighting each other for 100 years, 3 million dead. The 30 years war, 8 million dead between Protestants and Catholics in Central Europe. Abraham Lincoln quoting in the second inaugural address says they pray to the same God uh, asking his favor against their enemies. Yes, the Lord weeps. 
And we see in our day and time when, when people are arguing and fussing and, and, and spewing out venom against fellow Christians and, and some are using more than words, unfortunately. And the Lord weeps at this out and out hatred that is being shown between fellow followers of Jesus Christ, fellow beloved of one another. But I imagine most of y'all are thinking, well, I really don't hate any other Christians. I've never had any violent thoughts against another Christian or I haven't, I've never shot anybody. I've never hit anybody because they're another Christian to disagree with them. And, and you know, we're probably all thinking that. And, and the, uh, the writer of John may have said it this way. He said, you know what? Yeah, to dwell in darkness, you don't hate somebody, but this word hatred may be an extreme form of not showing love to somebody. The Bible scholar Robert Yarbrough suggests this, when we look at what Jesus says about blessed are you when others hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you. Robert Yarbrough suggests that this is what John is talking about to this community of faith isn't so much people out and out hating one another, it's failure to show love to one another. And when we think of it that way, we're kind of like Lee Corso on, on a Saturday morning game day, not so fast when, I, when I'm thinking that this is not applying to me. It does apply to me. Because you see, we Christians have gotten in the habit of thinking, well, I don't hate anybody. But do we love everybody as Christ is telling us to love? We've gotten in the habit, you see, of putting up with exclusion, of talking about others, of not including everybody. Alicia and I had the opportunity several years ago to go to the national prayer breakfast at the invitation of Senator Jeff Sessions. It's quite an honor, and I could tell all sorts of stories about it. But the master ceremonies was Congressman Louis Gohmert from Texas. And he started out his remarks by saying this, when I was running for Congress, people back my way were asking, do you want to go to a place where there's so much backbiting and lying and, and people talking about each other? And he said this, he said, you know, I've been a deacon at my Baptist church for 20 years. I'm used to that. You know? And we all laughed. We laughed because there's so much truth there, right? We, like blind salamanders, dwell, have, have gotten used to dwelling in the darkness of not showing love and, and putting up with things that, well, we don't think they're hatred, but we just allow them to pass within our lives and within the church. And we've got to see that if we aren't actively pursuing love for those who, are, who we share the pews with, then John claims that's like hating. And that's tough, isn't it? Hmm. Maybe we should be talking about us being beloved like earlier in the sermon. <laughs> you know, this, is the, this, this hits home, doesn't it? This hits home. But why do we do this? Because as we sang just a moment ago, they'll know we are Christians by our love. They'll know we are Christians by 
our love. And as John says, we do this by him who dwells within us. Because it's kind of odd, right? He says, this is an old command that's new. Yeah, this, was, this command to love other people was brought up in Leviticus 19. Uh, love your neighbor. Jesus talks about love your neighbor as you love yourself. What, what's so new about this? The newness is that we love it because of the indwelling of him who is in us. This enables us to be able to seek the good of other people, particularly the folks we share the pews with, even when it's hard and even when it's difficult. It enables us, you see, to love and to go out of our way to show care and affection for people who we are in church with. It's not just about not having ill feelings towards somebody. It's about actively pursuing the good of another person and not excluding anybody, not reviling anybody not talking back or about anybody. That's what it means to love, protecting each person's reputation, actively pursuing the good of somebody else. And when we do this, as Jesus says, they will, you, they will know you are my disciples by your love for each other. That's pretty powerful. The early church was great at practicing this. Many people had to sacrifice greatly in order to become a Christian. So they lost their livelihood. Actors who were participating in the theater left their professions because they felt what they were acting out was vile uh, to the Lord. So they quit. Soldiers laid down their swords because they were following the admonition, thou shall not kill. If a father and a mother died, and that often happened in that age of, of frequent death, the Christian community took in those children. Those unemployed actors and soldiers were taken in by the church as they were a part of the fellowship. And if someone's house caught on fire, their brothers and sisters took them in. And the world around them in that time said, according to Tertullian, the church father, look at how they love each other. And then Tertullian added in opposition to how y'all hate one another. He didn't use the word y'all, but how you hate one another. And they said, look at how they give their lives from one another. And, and Tertullian added, and look at how you kill one another. They will know we are Christians by the way we love one another. For love like that is attractional. In this age and time when you hear people yelling at each other, where poor uh, airline flight attendants are getting berated and, and healthcare workers are, are being uh, questioned, to see a community that comes together and loves each other, actively pursues the best of each other, protecting each other's reputations, that stands out. That's a beacon of light in a world filled with darkness. People take notice. And they will be attracted to that. Because particularly in this age, that's so unusual. You've probably heard this story. 
It's, a, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. It's called The Rabbi's Gift. It's a story about uh, a small monastic community. There's only uh, four brothers and, and the abbot there. And they are worried that their way of life is dying out, that the, the monastery will soon close because they're all getting up in years. But because of their, their deep sense of spirituality, they could tell whenever a rabbi from the nearby community would go to his little sabbatical in a village in, in the middle of the woods or in a hut in the middle of the woods. And so one time they realized that the rabbi had gone to his little hut to pray. And the abbot said, I'm going to go see this rabbi, see if he has any advice for us. And so uh, the, the abbot goes and he, he meets with the rabbi and uh, they uh, begin to share with each other and, and, and talk about deep spiritual things. And they bemoan the fact that, that the life of the spirit is dying out in the country and they, uh, they talk and they, and they cry and they pray and the day grows late. And the abbot says, I have come to ask to see if there's anything that you could give to our, our monastery so that we might thrive once again. He said, the rabbi said, I have nothing to offer you. But let me just say this. The Messiah is one of you. The Messiah is one of you. And with that, the rabbi hugged the abbot. And the abbot went back to the monastery. And, and all the other brothers came out to meet him and said, did you meet the rabbi? What did he say? Did he have anything to offer us? And, and the abbot said, no, he really didn't have anything much to say to us. We prayed some and cried some about how bad things are in the, in the countryside. But he did say this, this interesting fact. The Messiah is one of you. And the other brothers began to say, the Messiah is one of us. What's, what's that mean? Who could that be? And so they began to question in their minds who, who the Messiah could have be amongst uh, this small group of monks. It's probably the abbot. I mean, he's so wise and so good. Yeah, it's probably the abbot. And, th and then said, you know, it could be Brother Tim. You know, Brother Tim is so good and kind. And whenever someone needs something, he's always there. Could it be old Eldrick? I mean, Eldrick's such a grumpy guy. But you know what? Whenever we have something that needs to be spoken in truth, Eldrick is the one that says it. How about Mark? You know, Mark's so uh, behind the scenes. I mean, and he's so meek and mild. But maybe that's why he is the Messiah. And then someone questions, could it be me? Could I be the Messiah? And it's amazing what happened. Because those monks, thinking that one of them was the Messiah, began to treat each other with an extraordinary amount of respect and love. And as they are treating each other with an extraordinary amount of respect and love, uh, it's amazing how the, they started to be bound even closer together. And, and that monastery was in a beautiful setting and, and folks from the community would come out to have picnics and take times away to be in retreat and reflect about uh, what uh, was going on in the world. And, and they noticed in their interactions with these monks how, how loving and kind they were to each other and to everyone that visited. And soon some young men began to ask questions about that monastery. And then one became a novice, and then another, and then another, and then another. And that monastery was restored, and vitality of spirit 
was brought back into that community. The Messiah is one of you. Friends, the Messiah is in you. Jesus Christ is in everyone who claims him. So what John is telling us is treat everybody in the pews like they're Jesus. That's how we practice loving the world, loving one another. Because you're beloved. Believe the best in the people around you. And the world will notice. Amen, amen, and amen.